0: Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to the Young Dems table. Today, we're going to be recapping the year in Connecticut politics, and I'm joined by a very special guest. She has served Connecticut in a multitude of roles, starting out as a state representative in the Connecticut General Assembly. She went on to serve as Secretary of the State before her current role as Lieutenant Governor. I'm very honored to have Lieutenant Governor Susan Bysiewicz with us today. Good afternoon, Lieutenant Governor.
1: Well, good afternoon, and thank you so much for Having me on, it's been a really busy year, 2023 for Democrats.
0: Of course, I couldn't think of anyone better to review the year with. Um, So Connecticut has passed a significant amount of bills this year that advance progressive policies in our state. For example, many families work to ensure their children receive a quality education, but struggle to afford the costs or to pay back the loans they had to take on. Legislation such as HB 6941 invests over $240 million in public education for the 24-25 school year. Additionally, it created a student loan forgiveness program starting July 2024 that will forgive up to $20,000 in debt in exchange for volunteering at a local nonprofit. How will policies such as this help individuals and what more can we do?
1: Absolutely. Well, First of all, what I love about the legislation that you mentioned is that it addresses two needs at once. Uh, One is uh, the need to lessen the burden on students uh, because debt is just crushing and there's a lot of mental stress and anxiety that that uh, brings, but it also limits opportunities For people, and I totally understand, because I had, uh, my husband and I have three children, and we had, they're all close in age, so we always had two in college at the same time, Uh, and, you know, we really wanted to make sure that our kids didn't struggle with debt, and there are so many families uh, that have that struggle, so if you match student loan forgiveness with nonprofits that are struggling to find people to work, whether it's in health care, uh, whether it's in other kinds of um, environmental work. There are so many nonprofits. There are hundreds of them in Connecticut that do really important work in our communities and Just as many types of businesses are looking to hire people, um, so are nonprofits. And so to have students uh, have their loans forgiven in exchange for volunteering at nonprofits um, helps both the nonprofits and the students. And you never know, Uh, a student may be uh, volunteering at a community health center and have the inspiration that they want to be a, a community health worker, or they want to be a social worker. So um, I, I just think that that legislation uh, does more than just help nonprofits and students with debt, but it also, I think, leads um, our young people to really great careers.
0: Yeah, I'm currently going for my master's in school counseling, so I'm seeing both ends of it. I'm about to have my loans again, and I'm also working with students as they're applying for loans to go on to college. So it's interesting to have these conversations with them and also see some of the initiatives that at least Connecticut is taking on to help students. And I know I definitely will be taking advantage of that volunteering opportunities to help with my loans.
1: Well, one thing I will point out is... A lot of high schools are now working with students when they come in in ninth grade or as freshmen right and uh they're letting students know, particularly students who don't who don't come from families where uh their parents are college graduates, and a lot of families don't even realize that an, Financial assistance is available, but you got to fill out the FAFSA forms, right? And so in Meriden, uh, they start ninth graders out in a program so that the students and parents learn about what the opportunities are. Everybody fills out or gets the help they need to fill out the FAFSA forms so that the families understand that college is something that is affordable and that is attainable. And then, of course, we have free community college in our state, which is great. So we've been doing a lot to help make sure that if college is for you, that you have that opportunity and that's affordable. And the other thing that I want to mention uh, which I don't think enough people know about. Students don't know about it. Parents don't know about it. There are high schools across the state, uh, Manchester high, uh, high School, Hamden High School, Middletown High School, where you can get a an associate's degree by the time you graduate from high school or a stackable credential. So for instance, Uh, Middletown High School works with Pratt & Whitney uh, because there's a Pratt facility in Middletown. So there's a focus on aviation. In Manchester and Hamden, it's advanced manufacturing. So there are students, and this goes to the student debt issue, there are high school students that come out with an advanced manufacturing degree, an associate's degree. They are employable directly out of high school. So students have gone from Manchester High School to directly to work in advanced manufacturing, and they go to school at night to get their other two-year degree, right, so that they could get their B.S. in engineering or to get their bachelor's in business or whatever it is. And often the employers will pay for that two years, right? So I've met students at uh, Tungsus Community College who were working in manufacturing and then they were working to finish their associate's degree at night and their employer was paying for it. So- I just want people to know that, uh, especially parents, that there were so many opportunities out there to get a further education after high school that's free or nearly
0: free. I actually think that's an excellent segue into our next topic as well, um, building a skilled workforce in Connecticut. As the chair of the governor's council on women and girls, you've spotlighted women breaking glass ceilings in the manufacturing sector and work to close the gender pay gap by encouraging women to pursue careers in the STEM fields. Besides some of the um, initiatives you just mentioned, what are some that you're working on or some programs that you would recommend?
1: So uh, first of all, I would love it if um, students say in elementary school or at least in middle school, had the opportunity to go to our technical high schools to learn um, you know, uh plumbing, carpentry, uh, any of the building trades, sheet metal working, right? There, there's a lot that uh Our community and technical high schools provide. They also do um, hospitality and restaurant management and food service. They're just, depending on where you live, there are incredible opportunities, but students don't know about it and parents don't know about it. And what I'd further want parents to know is that if you have a skill like plumbing, or HVAC, or um, you become an electrician, you can own your own business, you can employ people, and you can do really, really well for yourself financially and have uh, a very fulfilling career. And by the way, all those things are STEM jobs, right? You need math skills, you need computer skills, um, to do all of those things, whether it's carpentry, whether it's sheet metal working, HVAC. Um, and so I like our young people when they're in middle school, uh, to know that they'd have the opportunity to go into a trade. And then once you graduate from one of those, uh, technical high schools, um, you can become an apprentice and you are paid and you earn while you learn. That's what the trades call it. And we need to get more women involved in the building trades because we're having a silver tsunami in the building trades. Um, Actually, we're having a silver tsunami in just about every field that you're looking at whether it's um, government service, uh, whether it's in manufacturing. So this is something that I want parents and students to know. Uh, And right now, uh, and you alluded to this, there's a pay gap for women in our state. And white women make 81 cents to the dollar that a, a white man makes. Uh, black women fifty nine cents, uh, and Hispanic women forty nine cents, which is just quite shocking, right? So how do we how do we address that? To me, the best way to uh, shrink the pay gap is for women to get jobs in the STEM fields because those are the highest paying, and that's anything from Uh, engineering to statistics to the building trades to computer science to IT all of that are all of those things are STEM fields right now there are only 25 percent women uh, represented in STEM fields so uh, my message to young women and young men study computer science when you at every grade you can in elementary school, middle school, high school, college, because whatever you do, wherever you go, there'll be a computer right there. And by the way, manufacturing, people think of manufacturing as being dirty, dingy, noisy and dull and boring because it's the same thing over and over. Actually. Manufacturing, I like to say, is uh, clean, computer-driven, and very cool, right? And we need, and women do very well in those in those fields because they're very organized and um, detail-oriented. And so, um, our Council on Women and Girls has a Lieutenant Governor's Computing Challenge. Um, we are starting; we'll be launching our fifth one. In January, and we get boys and girls uh, from the from third through twelfth grade to participate either individually or on teams or in teams with the idea that they can code for good. and these young people have come up with some incredible um, apps and programs to help you with your mental health, to help you with your physical health and fitness, to solve environmental problems, to help charities, to reduce domestic violence, you name it. Kids have come up with some uh, really great solutions. Uh, And so that's why I um, try to showcase women who are achieving in STEM fields, whether it's Uh, manufacturing, whether it's uh, science, medicine, uh, we need more smart women everywhere.
0: I'm so glad you brought up so many of those points. Um, So I'm actually a graduate of our Connecticut State Technical Schools. And as you were told, which one? uh, So I graduated from Oliver Tech in 2013. Okay. Um, My trade was carpentry. And as you were talking, I thought of so many of like the strong female classmates that I had that were working in the different trades, and they would work circles around many of us. <laughs> um, yeah. Especially my senior year, um, carpentry, plumbing, and electrical. We were in, we were all OSHA certified and trained, and there was at that point only two women out of all of us. And over as the years have gone on, I've definitely seen it increasing. And when I went back to substitute for a little bit, I definitely saw the numbers increase. And I can't promote those schools enough. (laughs) I went on to pursue a college degree. um, But I always joke, I'm going to go right back to carpentry (laughs) sometimes.
1: Well, Um, uh, so I'll tell you on the manufacturing side, um, I've had the pleasure of visiting Uh, Manchester High School and have seen the teachers who teach manufacturing. And there are uh, several women who teach the manufacturing modules. And, you know, they're and I think that's helpful in recruiting more young women because they're seeing teachers who are in the manufacturing field before they were teaching it. Uh, And I think um, that's really great, and I think it's necessary. And also, I want young women who may be out of school to know that if you're interested in carpentry, since Travis mentioned it, or you're interested in being an operating engineer, you're interested in sheet metal working uh, or plumbing and pipe fitting, uh, you can become an apprentice. And the uh, trades will teach you, you get paid while you're being trained. And I think that is an incredible uh, opportunity to learn and prepare yourself for a really great paying career, not just a job, but a career.
0: Yeah, I have friends who are an optometrist, and we're in our late twenties. So um, her foundations going to a technical school helped her move on to that. And I have a friend who sh- I believe she works in project management for a company that handles um, natural disasters. So it's skills like that that I think are so transferable, and. A lot of issues, I think, impacting youth um, moving on from education is definitely environment and climate change. And a lot of the fields that we just mentioned are definitely addressing that. And I think modernizing to fit the issues that are occurring. Climate change is an issue many young individuals are worried about as we are seeing significant climate events and rising sea levels that will impact our future. Several pieces of legislation were passed this year to address it but how do you think ongoing climate change will impact Connecticut and what can we do to protect our residents?
1: Um, Well, it's something that the governor and I think a lot about. Um, The governor has an executive order to uh, ensure uh, that we are uh, carbon-free, that we have carbon-free energy uh, by 2030. So we've got a lot to do. And the good news is that the wind farms um, and the turbines, they're actually turbines up in New London, um, that when those are built, uh will be at 93% uh, carbon-free energy. And we are going to eventually solve our uh, our nuclear problem. And when I say nuclear problem, I mean that, um we have the power plants in Waterford um those are still operating and they are carbon free cuz they're nuclear but they won't last forever so they're authorized and and um our state has signed a contract with them um and we did that in 2019 for 10 years so that puts us to 2029 um but we're going to have to figure out what to do so that means more solar um more geothermal um it means upgrading our electrical grid uh, because more and more people are buying uh electric cars uh which is a good thing uh for our environment and that is one issue that will be before the legislature uh because uh we'll have to decide as a state whether we want to join California and other states, uh, that have adopted, you know, tougher standards for automobiles. Um, and you know, I know there are some concerns around, will our electric grid be up for charging all of these, uh, new electric cars? Um, and I think you, we are starting to see more and more EV charging stations everywhere. Um, and part of president Biden's infrastructure plan, it addresses this issue of uh, making sure that we have um, a better charging station network. And we're working on that in Connecticut. So uh, I think there's a lot to do. Also there's a lot to do with respect to uh, making sure we're protecting our shoreline uh, because as we've been having more and more uh, superstorms, storms, uh, we are seeing an erosion of our uh, shoreline and also seeing um, more and more flooding uh, that's destroying homes that are on the water. So uh, we have a lot of work to do. Another area where we have work to do is with respect to Municipal waste. Um, We're still sending uh, waste outside of our state, and we need to find solutions within our state. Um, And this has become an issue because the Mira plant that is in Hartford that was taking a lot of the municipal waste in central Connecticut. And burning it is just getting very old and decrepit, and we need a new solution for that. So these are some big issues that will be before the legislature again.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important to recognize it's a gradual change and adaptation that we have to take to all these new things and working to get rid of the old infrastructure and and put the new infrastructure in place. Mm -hmm. For our next subject, um, I do just want to give a forewarning that it is some heavy subjects that I just want to talk about with you and address. Um, at the time of this recording, it, we recently passed the 11th anniversary of the Sandy Hook shooting, and Connecticut lost a significant individual for our state this year, Representative Quentin Q. Williams, um, so I would like to take a quick moment of silence for them.
1: And I'll say the day after thanksgiving was would have been q's birthday, and uh I feel particularly close to Q because he represented the one hundredth district in Middletown, which is the district uh that uh he represented and that matt lesser uh represented, and all of us uh when we became elected to represent the one hundredth district. Uh, we were all very young when we got that job. (laughs) So, um, and we miss Q every day because he just was, um, such a joyful person. He loved public service and he just exuded joy. And he was a huge, um, advocate for families, for, uh, education. He looked to, mentor young people in politics and so there are people like kai belton who is in politics kai's now a state represent state representative representing the 100th district um but she's someone that he recruited to be involved and so uh he has really made a difference. um, And he's still making a difference because all of us in Hartford think about his example and try to live up to it every day.
0: Yeah, and Young Democrats of Connecticut wanted to acknowledge the representation and the path that he led as the first Black president of Young Democrats of Connecticut and to represent Middletown in the Connecticut General Assembly. So his representation and his work is definitely missed and will be a large gap in our state. Um, In remembrance of him and the individuals at Sandy Hook, there were some public acts passed this year. Public Act 23-53 created gun control reforms restricting open carry, expanding our assault weapons ban, and updated training requirements, among other things. And Public Act 23-51 responded to wrong-way driving by installing 120 wrong-way driving systems, emergency systems to alert drivers, and testing of directional rumble strips would you like to share your thoughts on these individuals and the legislation passed in their memory?
1: Absolutely. Um, so I'll say first on the gun safety issues, um, the landmark 2013 law was an updated assault weapon ban. The first one was passed in um the mid-90s. I was in the legislature and I was very proud to vote for it. Um, It was the first assault weapon ban that was ever passed in Connecticut. Um, Fast forward to 2013 and the aftermath of Sandy Hook, um, a lot of loopholes had existed in the law, some that we knew about, Those guns that were uh, pre the 90s ban, right? And then uh, more loopholes were created because as soon as the 2013 uh, assault weapon ban was passed, gun manufacturers started to sell guns that were specifically manufactured to get around Connecticut's law. And so uh, that was an important update Um, more than 10 years had passed since we had one. That was important. Also, this requires uh, ghost guns um, to be registered. And that's important because law enforcement uh, are seeing many more ghost guns out in the streets and um more crimes have been committed with them so there's a requirement that ghost guns be registered uh there is a ban on the bulk purchasing of handguns and there's an expansion of Ethan's law which is our state storage safe storage law um and uh, that law came about because a teenager in Guilford uh, was accidentally killed because he was playing with a loaded gun that was not safely stored. And so, after Ethan Song's death, the legislature said that guns and ammunition must be stored safely and separately. Um, in, uh, they must be locked in homes where you have young people living, children, teenagers. The new safe storage law expands uh, Ethan's law to say it doesn't matter whether there's a minor that lives in the house or not, guns and ammunition must be safely stored, regardless of how old the people who live in the home are. And I think that's really important because, uh, if people have access to guns, you have more, um, violent domestic violence incidents and you have more suicides. So, um, I think those are some really great highlights. And the final thing that I'll say, because we've started, we continue to see rising numbers of domestic violence incidents. Um, you know, the numbers were way up during the pandemic and beyond. Um, and we made sure that if someone is convicted of the crime of family violence, that that becomes an automatic disqualifier for a pistol permit. And I think that's really important and that will help keep people and families safe.
0: And I really need to, um, give props to the state for working so hard to pass legislation in such a dark situation, but at least there's some good that can come out of these situations and that can help future individuals.
1: Yeah, I, I sure hope so because, Some of the domestic violence situations, many of them, children are involved. Children are witnesses to violence or to homicide, uh, which is awful. And that increases trauma on kids and, you know, adds to um, mental distress and mental illness. Uh, So... Uh, I think it's really important, and um, uh, hopefully these laws are going to prevent future gun violence. And I I will say that all of the research shows that the stronger and tougher um, gun laws are, the fewer uh, incidents of gun violence that ensue. So Connecticut has lower rates of gun violence than other states that don't have our gun safety laws. So we are safer because of our laws.
0: Yeah, and there's so many, there's so many laws and legislation and such that get passed at the state level that thankfully impact us and how it get in, gets enforced or the issues are brought up really starts at the grassroots level locally. And this year, we actually had our municipal elections here in Connecticut. Um, Connecticut Democrats had significant wins across the state this election cycle. There were things on the ballot, such as affordable housing and book banning. And depending on who you voted for, we're championing one or the other. (laughs) Um, What are some races you were watching closely and who are some individuals you'd like to highlight?
1: Oh, well, there's so many, but I'll just brag on a few. Um, Connor Martin. uh, Connor was chief of staff to Mayor Mike Walsh. And uh, he had been on uh, the Zoning Board of Appeals. uh, And he decided to run for mayor when Mayor Walsh unexpectedly stepped down. People thought, you know, in the spring of this year that he would be running for re-election. He opted not to. And Connor stepped up, ran a great campaign. um, And because he'd been involved uh, with Mayor Walsh's administration as the chief of staff for the past uh, two years, he really understood all of the Uh, economic development and housing uh, initiatives that were happening uh, in East Hartford. And he won and he is the uh, youngest uh, mayor of color ever elected in uh, the town of East Hartford. So uh, congratulations to Connor Martin and congratulations to uh, really the entire town council It's a very diverse town council in East Hartford, a lot of women, a lot of uh, people of color. Um, Also, Bernie Denler, you mentioned book banning. Book banning was just one issue that was um, on uh, the minds of voters in Colchester. Uh, The incumbent Republican um, suggested that RuPaul's biography be banned from the Colchester Public Library, even though only one person had ever checked it out. Uh, and um, there were a lot of other issues um, uh, at stake in Colchester, but I door knocked with Bernie Denler. I was there with him when he was, when he made his announcement and he did a fantastic job uh, and uh, won one by sixty five percent plus of the vote it was that was a very good win um and uh also uh worked with james demetriatis who had served for several terms um on the uh cromwell town council uh he is the first openly l g b t q plus mayor uh to be elected in cromwell and uh very excited about his positively Cromwell uh campaign. And now he's in the process of implementing his vision in Cromwell for more transparency um, and uh working um in a town where he grew up. So he he's gonna be great. Uh and then uh shout out to some young Democrats like Emily Zambrello on uh, the Weathersfield Town Council, Anthony Afrier and the Stratford Town Council, Awat Sagai, East Hartford Town Council, Ryan Hawley, Danbury City Council, Dan Gajewski, Groton Town Council, uh, Alexis uh, Velasquez of the Danbury Zoning, uh, alternate Alan Cunningham in my hometown of Middletown, Danny Cruz, New London Board of Ed, Jason Cole, Waterford Zoning Appeals Alternate, Jackie Cabrera, Danbury Zoning Commission, uh, Gabriella Cook, Stanford Board of Ed, Jessica Weaver, Newington Board of Ed, Mitchell Marks, South Windsor Board of Ed. There are probably a lot more, but I just want to say fantastic and also big congratulations to Roberto Alves, first Hispanic mayor ever elected in Danbury.
0: It's so great to hear you name so many of my peers, especially. (laughs) Um,
1: Great future ahead of them.
0: (laughs) And someone like Roberto Alves, as someone who went to West Con and Danbury's my second home, it's so great to see how his leadership really led the ballot for Danbury um, Democrats and I think, across the state, we're in good hands.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yes, yes, we are. And um, I think also all the people that I just mentioned are uh, role models uh, for uh, any other young dem who's watching and thinking, hey, I want to run for something. And here's my last parting piece of advice for those who would like to run for something. What I say is. Go volunteer for your local Democratic town committee. All you have to do is show up, help, and in about five minutes, they're going to be asking you to run for something. That's how it works.
0: Definitely. I've been in those shoes, so you're 100% correct. There you, go.
1: There you go. Oh, you're here. What do you want to run for? <laughs> Software, planning, Board of Assessment Appeals, Board of Ed, Council, it's great.
0: Um, So I know an initiative that you're working on right now is a coding coding competition called the Coding for Good Challenge. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: I will. I will. So if you're interested, you can visit um, www.ltgovcc.org to get the latest updates. Um, But the theme is Coding for Good and any student um 3rd grade through 12th uh can participate and uh this is a great way to learn more about commun- about computer science and to explore this important stem field so we would we would love to have young people participate and uh we've had Um, Some great corporate sponsors that offer prizes and we will be recognizing um, all of the young people and some of the best ideas. Um, It's always hard to choose, but there are always some fantastic, fantastic solutions for environmental health issues. You name it. We've seen fabulous student ideas. So check it out.
0: Well, it sounds like a, a wonderful opportunity. Um, before we close up today, is there anything else you'd like to promote or share?
1: Um, I think uh, I think that's it. but if you know, obviously we're coming into a presidential election. So if you have not registered to vote, please, please, please do that. Pick a party. Because if you and and hopefully you choose Democrat, because you will be able to participate in any primary elections uh, that we might have uh, this coming year. Um, but I think it's important to register as a Democrat because we are the party that started the GI Bill, Social Security, OSHA, the minimum wage. Uh, the environmental protection initiatives at the federal level, and so much more.
0: Well, thank you again so much for joining me today, Lieutenant Governor.
1: Absolutely. And
0: happy new year year and happy holidays.
1: 2024 is going to be a great year for politics.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you everyone for watching and make sure you subscribe and follow us and join us next time at the Young Dems table.